Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 88 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three allegedly semi-intelligent guys discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Ryan, and with me today is Michael. How are you this week, sir? Pretty good, thank you. And of course, we have the glorious Zeb. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to the gaming reviews. (laughs) I bet you are. So let's get into what you guys have been up to this week. Michael, please tell me you haven't been slacking. You've done something super fun and awesome in Linux this week. Um, super fun and awesome. I've done a lot of con- I've contributing to different st- different projects and stuff like that. And I've been working with basically trying to fix the OBS stuff and constantly improving and, fun- and making everything functional. Like, for example, making... So the mute works now. Wow, and, look at uh, that. It actually yeah. worked right away. Is that <laughs> now you're doing that through your new macro keyboard you showed us yesterday or yeah. last week? Yeah, I use it. I'm using the Mac. I specifically made one key on the keyboard that all it does is mute me myself. So any kind of background now's net background now's wow. Background noise. Why couldn't I say those two words? Uh they're tough words. They're tough words. Uh those I'm leaving that in, by the way. And this is, uh, it just makes it so I can make it easier to switch everything and manage the audios and stuff like that, especially considering my mic has some uh, different volumes than everybody else's. So I'm just trying to fix, like, you know, streamline some things. Well, I've got a question for you. Can we have a mute Michael button? Oh, that would be fantastic. Um, can you send us one of those? No, but I can mute you guys. So that's, oh, what, that's, that's what matters. Rude. That's so rude. So you said you were contributing to some different projects. Anything you want to announce uh, that you've been contributing to there? I mean, not, not really at the moment because I've been trying. I've been testing out some other distros and you know trying to see if I can like you know use them for different things. And I've been contributing to Kubuntu and. Uh, I knew it was going to have KDE in there somewhere. I knew it. Yeah, I've also did some contributing uh, contributions on GitHub to like uh, this OBS plugins and some other stuff, uh, and nice. Firefox. Uh, extensions and all kinds of stuff so it's more like you know not a not any huge big things just a lot of small things you went in there and tabbed some of their code and then resubmitted it oh i just fixed typos it's all (laughs) excellent (laughs) well zeb what have you been up to this week well it's quite interesting really because i've been using a specially crafted fedora script to broaden my horizons Um, and we'll discuss more about that later all right i know it worked perfectly Absolutely, because it's something that I contributed to. I, quit coughing, Zeb. It worked perfectly. <laughs> All right. So, so let's get to our listener emails then, Michael. We got another awesome email here, and this one even includes a little bit of a challenge, I think. Oh, yeah. This this is going to be fun. Um, so uh, they, they ask, we, we are constantly asking the, you know, the viewers to send in you know, their questions and their opinions about things, but this one decided to – this. A viewer decided to kind of flip it and ask us uh, our opinion on certain things and says, uh, uh, how do you, like, instead of, you know, how do you use Linux? He wants to know, what do you, what do we think about video card wise? You, you know, you can find Linux with support for AMD and NVIDIA, but which one do you think is like the best for like certain situations, whether they're team green versus team red, they want to know our opinions. And I think they're probably, you know, want to know more about Ryan's opinion since he's the hardware guy. So Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> well, this is kind of an interesting one because we were, it's a little bit of a challenge, like wanted us to go in there and do a challenge of AMD versus NVIDIA. But I think 
you know, I have videos on my channel about this very topic. I had the NVIDIA 1070. I had the NVIDIA 1080. I've had the Vega 56. I've had the Vega 64. I'm on the Vega 64. If the question is which one works for Linux better, as you asked, there's no doubt. I don't think anybody would argue AMD is way friendlier and better to use at this moment. Newer AMD cards for Linux. Mm -hmm. If the question is which one is faster, there's, again, really no question NVIDIA is faster at this time when it now, works on your hardware specifically you know, it's faster if it works yes so <laughs> you're going to have to mess with the proprietary drivers you're you know you're going to have to go in there and do the forceful composition probably in certain distros to get rid of screen tearing you're going to have some issues booting into certain distros however if you were to do a frame per second battle for battle as i've done on my channel against these the 1070s and 1080s were always faster than the equivalent Vega 56 and Vega 64. With that being said, I did not find the frames per second when we're already in ludicrous mode of 170, 180 frames per second versus 150, 160 to be really that much of a difference that I cared about. Um, now, there are a lot of games as well that NVIDIA specifically uh, has some type of partnership with and therefore their games run better on NVIDIA and so you have that issue as well. So Team Red, if you want to go into any distro and never mess with it. Team Green, if you want to uh, have the most frames per second. But I think that will change when the Vega 20 architecture comes out. And I think AMD for the first time will be giving NVIDIA one heck of a run for its money in the frame per second arena. Mm -hmm. Especially, they're going to be cheaper than the, the same the equivalent of the NVIDIA too as well, wouldn't they? Yep. Oh, they'll probably be considerably cheaper because they always are. Yeah, they generally are cheaper. And, they're, you know, there's really good price points on AMD cards as well. And the RX 580, I think, is just a brilliant card that has incredible performance for what it is. So that would be one. If you're not looking for top-tier cards, that would be one I would recommend. Yeah, but, but just to counter some of what, what Ryan said, yes, you will run into problems. Yes, you will need to install proprietary drivers. But once you've done it, two or three times it's very simple to know okay this this distro is not booting on a live usb so stick no mode set on the end of the, the linux until you can get in and get the proprietary drivers up um, setting up the no flipping within the OpenGL and 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 setting it so that you don't get screen tearing takes about two minutes once you get used to doing it now the difference is whilst i'm messing around with all that Ryan's already been in Bok, played a few games, and won some rounds. So it's, you know, what do you want? Do you want ease of use? Go um, Team Red. If you don't mind a little bit of fiddling and you then want faster gameplay, go Team Green. Yep. Uh, and soon it will be go Team Red or go Team Red, hopefully. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless NVIDIA changes its game and then does some open source stuff, which there are no signs they ever will. No. And I think it's important that people realize that the 2080 line of NVIDIA came out with basically is worthless to anybody in Linux because ray tracing is not coming to Linux that we know of yet. So, you know, you're going to be able to get the latest AMD cards and they're going to, they already built the drivers into the kernel right now for the Vega 20 line. You're going to be able to use all the functionality of that card out of the box. If you want the latest and greatest, you go to the new 2080, you're not going to have much better than the 1080 Ti is already pushing out there as far as performance. It's a lot of wasted money. That's kind of another big advantage to joining the Team Red team. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some of our news now that we've covered that. Joel, thank you so much for that email, by the way. 
Um, in the news this week is a really interesting distro and I found myself, so a little bit of a story here. I've been watching Mr. Robot. Now, Michael, go ahead and roll your eyes. Um, it's, it's the evil corp show. <laughs> the, the dumbest thing about the show is that the corporation that's evil is called evil corp. Uh, it's kind of dumb, but in any case, uh, well, it's, in that it's, show, it's E corp and then he just calls it evil corp. Evil Corp, yeah, but it's Evil Corp all over buildings and some yeah. places. And well, stuff you're, you're seeing it in his mind, right? Yeah. So, in any case, the the Mr. Robot show actually is quite addicting. I've enjoyed it, but one of the things that's really neat about that show is every scene that they use a computer, it's Linux. Now, usually it's Kali Linux, and there's a few scenes I've seen so far. I'm not through all the seasons where they use Mint. But Kali Linux, as you know, is security-oriented, and Parrot Linux is another security-oriented distribution that has come out, and it's 4.2.2. And because I've been watching Mr. Robot, I think I really was attracted to this distro when it came out and wanting to install it and play with some of these tools that it comes with. So this is a penetration testing computer forensics uh, good hacker, happy hacker, was a gray hat hacker, uh, engineering style, white hacker um, type of distro but this one has a unique difference between it and Kali Michael that you were telling me about that I didn't know yeah and that so, you can run it yeah you can you can run it as an, a regular user so for example the the well okay there's there's two different versions and that's why you can't the 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 issue is that most of these pen testing distributions are being used by people uh, consistently as their main system and they should not do that because even if you go for example, Cali has a frequently asked questions section. One of the things says, "Can I run it as my daily driver?" And they pretty much say, "No, you should not do that," because right. it's not meant to do that. However, Parrot has two different versions. One is the pen testing version, another one is the home version. So if you wanted to use the the same kind of thing, you could. So you could use the home as your regular distro, and then use the pen testing tool for like a live USB approach or something like that. So you can have like. Um, you don't really necessarily need to do the same distro for the home and for the pen testing. You can mix and match. It doesn't really matter. But it's interesting that they, they put out both F, both of the different editions. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so I've, used a, yeah, I've used an earlier version of Parrot, and I deliberately didn't put any of the uh, compu- computer forensic and hacking stuff off. Um, and it was actually a very nice um, Ubuntu-based uh, distribution. Now, the main reason I don't do all of this stuff is um, when I was a lot younger, a friend and I were messing around with these sort of stuff when we were back on Windows. Um, and I think the one time I tried to take my friend offline, I'm sure I ended up DDoSing myself. So <laughs> there, I, there I was trying to make sure that he couldn't play his game properly. And my internet went... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not supposed to happen. So I've never been back to them since. I don't touch that sort of stuff. It's just too complicated. That is hilarious. So yeah, there are a lot of powerful tools in here that you could probably cause some trouble with. Um, it is Debian based, so it uses the Debian installer, not Ubuntu. But uh, the when I played with this and I booted it up, there's also an ARM version too, Michael, that's out there as well if people want to try that out. But when I booted this up, first of all, that wallpaper we talked about even uh, in last week's episode, they have Mm -hmm. a gorgeous wallpaper, a polygon, uh, futuristic kind of polygon, beautifully colored Parrot, you know, for Parrot Linux. And they have, they use the Mate desktop implementation. So, you know, you've got really well set up paneling and very easy to navigate, very user friendly. There were some really cool tools that attracted me in there. One of which was Anonasurf. 
which basically forces connections through Tor proxies so that you can surf anonymously. And when you boot that up, it'll actually shut down other applications that may be calling out to uh, the internet at that time, basically to force them through that new proxy uh, to be able to be anonymous while you're online, which is very cool. Yeah. There's also lots of other tools in there that you can play with and get in trouble with and probably DDoS yourself as Zeb did. <laughs> exactly what will probably happen to me when I start playing with it some more. Uh, and they use the Synaptic Package Manager as their uh, software store there. I didn't see any other options other than the Synaptic, but that's fine for this. And I really like that the terminal was themed along with the distro as well. Mm. So you get a really unique colored terminal and design when you first boot that up. So they paid a lot of attention to detail there. And if you're getting into this kind of penetration testing, computer forensics, that type of thing, what a great distro to go out there and have a suite of applications pre-installed that you can play with and uh, learn about this type of stuff. Yeah, I didn't. Ha- I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with this particular version of Parrot, but it they do have. They put a lot of polish onto their distro, and it's and it's for something that's like this. That's more, you know, it's meant to be a, you know, just a utility for them to put that much effort into it. Is all is just and, you know, it's very impressive. Yep, and mm-hmm. it comes with the later kernel. So even though it's Debian based, you get the 4.18 kernel in here. So you're on a later kernel. You're going to have the advantage if you have newer hardware and stuff of being able to, you know, support things like the Vega graphics cards, uh, for instance, from AMD, which will be in there as well as some of the other uh, kernel enhancements and security improvements and that mm-hmm. type of stuff. So very, very cool, and it booted immediately. I had zero issues. Of course, I'm on Team Red, so I didn't expect any. But sometimes you still run into uh, installers that don't work properly or that type of thing. But very nice. Well done. Nice. Yep. And another well done distribution that, that had a release recently is Tails, the anonymous live in, uh, environment. So it's Tails had 3.9 that was released, I think, uh, last week or this week. And it's, it's got a lot of cool stuff like for support for Veracrypt. But easily the, the coolest thing that they have released uh, in this version is the ability to automatically install software when you when you start Tails. Uh, because if you've never heard of Tails, it's the, the, they call it an amnesic system because it doesn't remember anything about the previous time you used it on purpose. So every mm-hmm. time you reboot the system, everything that you did prior is just removed completely and you just start from fresh, start fresh. Which is a really, really good good idea for privacy and security people, and you know, people who are in certain areas where people are watching what they're trying to do, things like that. Like reporters who are trying to keep things like very, you know, very private type of type of situations. Uh, so that's a really good option. But the most annoying thing ever with using it was that you'd have to reinstall every single application that you want to use, and you have to do it manually, and it, would, it wouldn't take forever, but it was tedious and annoying. And the fact that they've added an install system where you can just say what applications you want and it will automatically pull them in every time you turn it on, that is fantastic. Ah, right, yeah. Because I was going to say, can you not, like, okay, boot it up, install your software, and then take a snapshot so it goes back to that every time? No, it's meant to just automatically start over. That way, it forces the start over. That way, there's really no worry about, you know, things that you stored, privacy, history, things like that. Because if you Mm -hmm. accidentally stored stuff you didn't want to, um, it, would, it would stay it would store that too nice sounds pretty good so i have a special love for tails and i'll tell you why when i was doing windows videos before i ever got into linux <clears throat> and i was doing the privacy centered stuff 
somebody commented, you should look at Tails and Wanix. And can you do a video on them? And that was the first time I started digging deeper and found the terms of Linux and figuring out that I wanted to try it and led hmm. me into the Linux world. So Tails and some user of Tails really was the first one that sparked that investigation nice. into it and got me into Linux. So did not know that. So Tails was like your your stepping stone for the thirty days. Exactly. It was the stepping stone into me eventually doing that challenge and me being in Linux. So very very cool cool. stuff and very, very privacy and security focused distribution out there. That's awesome to keep on a USB drive because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but my key ring is full of USB drives. And then if you go into my backpack that I carry around, if I'm traveling, it's full of even more uh, (laughs) USB drives of random distros. So it's kind of like a geek thing to have more, more USB drives than keys on your ring. Yeah, if you can see this this these, this box right here in the in the background for the audio listeners, sorry, but in the video version, there's this blue box back here, and then there's this white box right here. Those are my USB key box things. Yeah, every time they go on sale, I buy just, like yeah, I just buy more. And <laughs> I don't need them. I just you can do. get them for like five dollars, so and they're and they're decently sized, so it's just like okay, yeah, why not? I get a, this handful of them. And <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we've all got drawfuls of those, I'm sure. <laughs> so keeping on the um, distro theme, this, this next particular article is going to take a slightly different tact. Um, we've always been a proponent on this particular podcast of helping the Linux community and helping the distro of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys went and actually went out and asked for help. Um, and it was Arch Linux ask me anything interview on Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the team over at Arch Linux decided to brave the Reddit recent, or to brave Reddit recently with an ask me anything. And there were some interesting topics mentioned. So I'll pick up the first one. And it was one re- question they had regarding manpower and where assistance is needed on the project. Now, interestingly enough, they said that there's always pe- a lot of people who end up doing packaging because once you learn how to do it, it's fairly straightforward. But not enough people that help with patches to those packages, um, debugging patch packages, and the more complex work. So it sounds like they're getting enough help, but maybe just not of the right caliber. Um, now, Ryan, what, what was it that piqued your interest about this article? Yeah, well, I think on that question, it's very interesting because we've had developers on a lot of them want help with the basic stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. want that to discourage anybody who just doesn't have that type of experience. But in the arch world, they have a lot of people who end up you know, doing some of the more simpler things. They need more people helping with some patches. Not necess- I don't know, Michael, you probably know more of this, but I don't know patches to packages or debugging packages is particularly difficult, but you probably have to have some type of mentorship kind of showing you the basics of it. Yeah. You would need someone to show you how to do it and, or at least, you know, go through some tutorials and stuff like that. It's mainly the issue is that packaging something doesn't typically change much. So when you take the source code and you start packaging it for a particular distro, you can kind of do that for pretty much anything, but applying patches from previous like versions that are at like security patches and things like that, that takes a lot more effort because you have to be able to do that, like, to see where it, where it's needed if your distribution is using the particular thing that is being patched or not, you know, stuff like that. Yep. So the other question they had in here that I thought was interesting is regarding how people could get more involved. Now, the first thing that they mentioned is join the IRC and hang out and listen. 
So this is interesting because a management tactic that I use in my real life job is the first 30 days on the job, I shut up and listen to my team. I want to know how they work together, the dynamics, the issues before I go and tackle the situation that I need to. So this kind of hang out and listen is a really awesome advice. I think you don't, don't have to talk. I don't remember the when I joined this podcast that you even took any, slightly any time. <laughs> You're at not all in my to, real life job. You're just oh, my imaginary friend. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes more sense. Okay, <laughs> all right. So no, I, I think I think the hang out and listen is a really good idea. Um, so you can just kind of learn how people are talking, what they're talking about, and some of that, and then learn package management there. So that was interesting that they want mm-hmm. people. You know, that's a good way to kind of get involved and start learning some of that stuff now. Here's where it gets a little bit interesting because in our own Telegram group, there was an individual mentioning hanging out in the Arch IRC and they were having an issue with their hardware and they asked a question and the people were very rude mm-hmm. in the Arch IRC group. So yes. while the developers are suggesting you go there, I think this is a perfect time to remind people that the way you interact with others who are learning Linux, getting involved in Linux can determine whether somebody's even going to stay with it at all. And while it may sound like a dumb question, if they've never been in there before, give them the benefit of the doubt. Try to be nice. Try to help them out. Lead them to an answer at least once or twice and then help them learn how to fish, if you will. But the way you treat people really matters. And we don't want this community to be known for that type of stuff. So I went and hung out in the Arch IRC chat room. Unfortunately, there was not a lot of activity at that time because I planned to school somebody with my Parrot Linux and DDoS them if they were, no, I don't plan to do that. (laughs) But in any case, uh, you know, be nice to people. So that's, but I would, I give it the, uh, the devil's advocate uh, approach to that and to say that, yes, there, there is a lot of, you know, negatives uh, to being in the Arch IRC. However, uh, the Arch IRC is, is is meant for people who are, you know, they've already gone through the process of installing it, you know, the manual way of like doing it the Arch way, where you go through the process of learning all these different things. So usually when they're mean, it's a it's it's because there's a they ask a question that they would have already had answered in the guide for installing. So there's a, a lot of the time you'll see people who, who are Manjaro users or Intergos users or something like that, where it's an Arch derivative going into the Arch people to the Arch channel and then asking for help, and they won't do that because that's not the distro that they're providing help with. So they have hmm. like a certain level of expect expectation of skill that if you don't meet it and based on your question, they can usually tell they just kind of dismiss it, which is that's really stupid. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I understand that's that's why I'm just saying that's why they do it. So it's like uh, I'm not saying you're stepping into like the lion's den or anything, but it's not like um, there's there, there's a, the, the level of expectation. You should know what that is before you go in there. And so that's why I'm not I'm not saying that I'm justifying they're do, they're doing it. I'm just you know, it's more of a warning. Then what they need to do why. is when you join the IRC, they need to have a header there because you can have headers and say don't ask questions unless you're an expert. Go here instead. Otherwise, you know well, what's really that's boring? The wiki Going says into that. an IRC hangout and there's no activity. And you know mm-hmm. why I went there and sat and there was no activity? Probably because everybody's afraid to ask a question. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you were a little more friendly, there'd be yep. a little more activity and it would actually make IRC chat fun because you know what also is awesome? Teaching people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it might be in the manual and you can link to that, but you can also teach them some stuff along the way. I, and I find that very fun. That's, uh, and that's I why I do stuff in the community. other... The, the derivatives of Arch, like in Terragos, I help in, in that community because it's 
it's a different experience. It's still the same core, but it's a different, uh, you know, just a different approach to users. So mm. that I was just explaining that's why it's there. It's not like they just don't like new people. It's just they have an expectation if you don't meet it, it's automatically like dismissing. It's not a good thing, but it's it is what that is what they do. So you know, just yeah. be aware if you go but they also need to think of not everybody thinks the same way i mean i've been using linux now since 2009 i go to the wiki sometimes to look for an answer and my eyes glaze over because it's not written in english mm -hmm. i don't understand all of this it tells you about something with a parenthesis and a you know a, a minus minus help fine i can work out minus minus help but when it then gives you about 14 different parameters that you're then expected to read and learn and work out what's what sometimes if somebody just tells you well for this situation just use that that and that and then you could work out yeah. oh hang on a minute now when i read what all those bits are it makes more sense mm -hmm. just reading black and white lines on a page doesn't work for me so rtfm definite no no again <laughs> the smartest people i've ever met are people who teach and they're not people who try to put people down with their knowledge that they have or act like they're so superior. Those are the, the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And that's why I try to model myself after people like that and be patient and help people because, first of all, it's going to help you learn. The more you reiterate and teach these things, you're going to know it better. And mm -hmm. second of all, you give something back to the Linux community. When you talk about giving back, one of the ways you can give back to the arts community is to be kind to one another, right? That's a way to give back because you can help grow it. Yeah. Michael, there was another question in here. Yeah. So another question, this, uh, moving on from that note. So, um, <laughs> the, one of the questions related to Pac-Man and whether they were going to evolve that into an atomic style package management system. And, um, the response they gave was that they thought that the, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't likely get involved unless there was a significant contribution from someone who would want to put in the effort to make that happen, mainly because the amount of work that would require that is is a insane amount, really, because that would be kind of rebuilding all of what Pac-Man is, uh, and also the whole system infrastructure. Because Atomic, if you're not aware, Atomic style packaging is kind of like a modular structure, so that you could have multiple versions of the same package installed as well as mul uh, multiple dependencies so that one package could say i need this dependency and you have the same you have another version of that dependency installed so you could have both of them at the same time and not have conflict so that's kind of what atomic approach does so that would require essentially just rebuilding the whole thing and uh, you know i completely understandable why they wouldn't want to do that yeah, I think it's interesting that they said that it would be a ton of work, and unless there was a significant contribution from someone that cares, like enough to run with it, that it probably is not going to happen. But I thought that was a good response, right? If there's someone who really is really passionate about that, wants to join in and help try to make it a thing, they would support it. But if not, they're not going to kind of stop what they're doing to try to, to build it. And I think that's a fair answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's all volunteer stuff anyway, so it'd be like there's a lot of effort to make that happen. Yep. So then they asked about uh, someone asked the question i3 or i3 with gaps or open box. So kind of a comparison there between the three, which of course caught my attention. And the dev responded there i3 gaps because he's the one who maintains it, and that was a very fair answer <laughs> as well. So there you go. Yeah. i3 gaps is the winner there. Yeah. That I mean, i3 gaps looks looks better, but I mean i3 the whole point of tiling is like, you know, tile. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're, oh, you're going to get so much flame for that, Michael. <laughs> the I3 community is way angrier than the Arch community. You, you don't know what you're messing with. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I will publicly apologize up front. Um, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the next question, uh, quickly moving away from that, is uh, what are the biggest challenges or you know technical issues that you experience as a developer for Arch? And also, is there any like personality like, you know, personally things that you don't like about the project that you'd like to change. And I think, like, there's a lot of these uh, these questions that are kind of like uh, overview st- stuff. It's just like, a, you know, basic fundamental questions and stuff like that. But their their answers are kind of like um, they want to have more manpower and stuff like that, which is totally understandable. But, you know, that mm-hmm. it's it's hard to convince, you know, a ton of people to work on that. Because if you look at the, the amount of packages that some of these maintainers have, there's like... There's at least a couple packages that have like 300 different packages they're doing, and it's it's like the amount of effort, man. That's I mean, that's, I applaud you, but no, thank you. Mm. Yeah. So they mentioned the biggest challenges being they need more manpower. Then the second one, when you mentioned what would you like to change, they said SVN. Oh Lord, SVN. <laughs> For everything sacred, can we please stop using SVN? Yes, so. that's a that's a good one. I didn't see that one, but yes, they should totally. Yeah, just use Git. Why are you using SVN? What is going on? Uh, um, yeah. So, Zeb, there were some rapid-fire questions here as well. There was, and it, and it was quite interesting, some of the answers. So, um, one of the questions was, what was your favorite distro other than Arch? And they answered, Zubuntu. Yeah. Which is surprising, given yeah. it's XFCE, and XFCE, as we know, is slow to develop. And yet Arch is meant to be bleeding edge, you know, let's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Here's the next package. Um, enjoy, enjoy the breakages type thing. Um, <laughs> and then they said, what FOSS or Linux project deserves mention due to the awesome people who contribute it? And their answer to that was Debian, which again was interesting because it's, I mean, I would have expected them maybe to say something like Slackware or one of the more sort of like more outlandish ones, but Debian, it was a, I enjoyed that answer. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, in the end, I don't go to Reddit that often because I find it, oh, I was going to say as vicious as Arch, but I better not, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're going to get lots of mail this week. Yeah, I, I find it, I, I normally find it a very toxic um, type of, of place to go Again, and hang yeah. out and, and yeah. read. However, in the end, I thought that this was one of the friendlier um, AMAs that I've seen around Linux. Lots of good questions and very kind compliments and feedback. Definitely showed the good side of Linux. Um, and overall, we applaud the Arch team for doing it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I was super impressed with the way questions were asked. First of all, it was all people would, you know, like you said, compliment and give, you know, hey, I love this about Arch, but let me ask this question type of thing. It was just very kind. And if those people would all go into the Arch IRC, I could envision a much more beautiful uh, community there. Not to say there's not amazing people in the IRC, because I'm sure there were and, and are there, but I think that that really showed an awesome side of Linux. People who come across that because it was highly upvoted that may not be interested in Linux would see that and see the way people were responding and interacting with the developers and the awesome answers the developers gave and the time they spent to answer all those questions would probably leave a great impression for them of this is pretty interesting. I want to take a look at this. And that I think was amazing. And the outreach to the community by doing oh, yeah. an AMA was awesome. It's also, mm-hmm. it's it's really cool that they're, they put the effort into actually going through the process of doing an AMA uh, and also 
I lo- I really like how it's a collaborative effort from the Arch team. There's like 30 people that were part of the the, the giving the answers and stuff like that. So it's an interesting approach because usually with those AMAs, it's like one or two people and they got to handle like 50, 100 questions. You know? <laughs> and then this way they're like, you know, we should just handle it, you know, like in in the same way that we do this the this the system is just collaborative, and I, I like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I hope to nice. see more of it. And uh, that was great. So we talk a lot about wanting a true Linux solution for mobile. This is a big dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Zeb wants to stomp in my dream of Cheerios and milk here uh, and say, not going to happen. But I, I have a dream that one day we will be able to get away from Google's version of Android and we'll get away from Apple's closed garden and have a true Linux option out there. Now, there are some options that I wanted to go through that have hit the news. Some of them are new updates. Some of them have been out there for a little bit. But just to kind of give people a taste of what Linux on a mobile device could be and what it currently is, the first one is the Raspberry Pi-based Zero phone that's coming out. So this is very interesting because I love my Raspberry Pi. I love messing with it, tinkering with it, messing it up and reloading it, all of those things that you can do with the Raspberry Pi very, very easily. And this is basically a phone version of that that you can now get through Crowd Supply for 50 bucks. It's only gonna cost you 50 bucks, but this is a tinkering tool. This isn't meant, it's not gonna be a fully formed phone. You're going to tinker with this much like the Raspberry Pi, add your own case onto it, add your own modules, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Michael or Zeb, is this something you guys would ever be interested in playing with? Yeah, the fact that it's only fifty dollars. I mean, I, you kind of you kind of have to just get it to play with it. Um, so yeah, I, I totally want. I, I would like for them to have like a case that would be a little, you know, if they provide a case for me, so I don't have to go like hunt them down because I, with a Raspberry <laughs> Pi, print one. yeah, exactly. With yeah. a Raspberry Pi, you can get a case really easily just on Amazon or something. But when they when they mm-hmm. first came out, they didn't give a case at all. So there are people who are making cases out of cardboard and like Legos and all kinds of stuff. So it's, yeah. it, you know, those are cool, but I don't want to do that. So, uh, you know, cause I'm, I'm worried I'm going to step on one of the Legos, but you know, it'd be really nice if they provide a case for this one at some point anyway. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting because I've only just recently got my Raspberry Pi and like you, Ryan, some of the f- fantastic things that you try and do with it and it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't matter because 30 seconds later, you can have it back on Raspbian. Right. It's not, it's not <laughs> the end of the world. So I think it would be interesting to see the sort of like mechanics behind how the phone works, what mm-hmm. it needs to do all of its bits and pieces. Um, and yeah, I'll save my reigning on your parade and when, when I get for, down for the end. Of right. section. Yeah. <laughs> for right now, there's yeah. nothing but hope. It's no carrier locks, mm-hmm. bloated apps, data mining, and doesn't depend on big companies. It's called the Raspberry Pi Zero Phone. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really cool option. Now, this isn't to to Zeb's point going to be for your average user to go out. You know, people aren't going to go buy these in mass and this will be the new phone that replaces the Android and iPhone, but it's a cool tinkerer's tool and it certainly would get you a feather in your geek cap anytime you hang out with your friends. Yeah, I, I would, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I kind of wish I had one of these kind of phones where it's just like a simple regular phone and then like a tablet for the smartphone aspects. Yeah, Just absolutely. so you don't have to worry about like having to carry the, you know, like, you know, the, the, having to worry about all your updates. Well, okay, 
if you have a certain era of phone never getting an update for your you know your operating system like yeah it's that's not very fun so uh <laughs> also is we got some update for uh, sailfish from the yola team yeah and if you haven't heard of sailfish this is a it's a continuation of the migo open source system and if you haven't heard of migo it was basically mm-hmm. deprecated like five years ago or something like that but it was a fork of mamo and moblin so it just it, keeps getting forked and yeah forked. it's just it's well mamo and moblin were combined together to make migo and then migo was forked to get selfish um but anyway selfish actually looks like a modern uh, modern operating system for the mo- for the mobile space so it's it's actually pretty cool uh unfortunately there's not very many smartphones that you can use for it uh, or tablets or anything like that. So like, it's kind of cool because when they first announced it, they only had this, the Sony Xperia X, but now they got a few more. So that, I'm, I'm just glad to see that they're you know adding to their repertoire, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's cool to see. You know, it's the Gemini, PDA, Sony Xperia. Some of these phones like uh, I haven't heard of before and I've, in the telecom industry, which is interesting, but I think they're meant for other countries mostly. They're probably mm-hmm. popular brands in other areas. But certainly this work, you talked about the forking of the forking of the forking and all this stuff. Eventually, we will have a true Linux solution and the work that's leading up through these these different various mm-hmm. projects may come together or be forked into that main project. So they are overcoming things like with the email apps that they have, the autofocusing capabilities that they've done with the cameras for clearer pictures, the fingerprint uh, unlocks that they've been able to get working within the device. So they're, they're slowly breaking away at kind of decoding all of these options within these phones. And that work can be used because it's open source across the board from other projects as well that may work for even more devices. I think they do have a limitation though, because the last time I checked, if you want, if you had a Sony Xperia X and you wanted to put Selfish on it, you had to pay fifty dollars to get the like the install. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure I if they they're gone. still doing that, but it was kind of it is something I remember them doing because that was kind of weird. Yeah, I don't but, like yeah. that. But it's you know it's not terrible. It's not a huge price, but you know it is kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, but the Gemini PDA, have you seen that thing? No. That's a that is a really cool uh, smart like it's basically a smartphone with a keyboard attached to it. Uh, but it, when it closes, it's like this. It's like you know, it's like a really nice hard shell type device. And one of the things Almost like I, a 3ds style clamshell. Yeah, yeah, like a 3ds style. Yeah. yeah. But in the, the the keyboard is okay. I wish it had a little better keyboard. But the inner like the actual screen mechanism stuff like that is really cool because they have their own custom like Android shell replacer thing. Uh, but there's there's one thing I love about it. Just it, I know that this is ridiculous and pointless and is not a reason to get a phone. But there is no upside down when you take a phone call. So because the there's no like screen on the outside, they have a microphone and a speaker on both sides. So wherever you pick it up and whatever way it's facing, it doesn't matter. It's right. Yeah, that's just, that's I thought nice. that was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's clever. I mean, looking at the picture, it reminds me a bit like of a, a an overgrown Scion organizer. If anybody remembers those from back in the day. Mm. Very cool. Um, but those ones, you definitely had to have them the right way around. Because I remember walking down oh. the street, like talking on it, and somebody said they couldn't hear me, and I realised that that was because it had a little like two-inch screen on the outside, <laughs> and I had that facing the wrong way, and the, all the microphone stuff was on this side of the phone. Yeah. So when I turned it round, it worked fine. Well, the uh, Scions actually the people who make the Gemini. Oh, so, is it? Yeah. That'll be, that'll explain why it looks so similar then. Yeah, the, the people the people who made the original Scion are the same people who designed. They they didn't manufacture it, but they're the ones who designed yeah. this one. 
Nice. And another one that's uh, coming up is, uh, now I, I don't know how to, to pronounce this, whether I should be saying slash E slash or just calling it E, but the name of the company is, you know, a slant, the letter E and another slant. So E, oh, someone's just said here, ELO. There you go. It's ELO. Yeah. yeah. I, I think how they get ELO from the two slashes. I don't, I don't know. If they don't know what the, I don't know if Maybe they want, going, know what they want to be named. It's going <laughs> down, so it's going lower. So it's like E low. Yeah, I'm really? I'm, try, I'm I'm grabbing at straws right there. I just think somebody couldn't spell L O. <laughs> <laughs> so what we've got here is we've got a product that's been created by um, a gentleman who I'm not happy with Google and others. They have become too big and are tracking us by catching a lot of information about what we do. They want to know as much as possible to sell advertising. Like millions of others, I've become a product of Google. Well said. So what he's, what he's done is he's, he's starting to make this um, new phone system. Now, I find the next statement he makes a little bit surprising because he says it's supported on 17,000 plus Android devices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't know that there were 17,000 different types of Android devices or is he talking about the 17,000 plus Nokia fives that are out there? (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't know where he gets that figure from because I I would assume he means many more than a couple of thousand. Oh, there's a ton. devices. It's been yeah. like ten years, and the, and these companies like churn them out like so much, because and that's why they don't care about updates because they make a new one every every year, or they make like six or seven different new ones every year. In so, other countries, you've got yeah. just tons of people yeah. rebranding and branding. So I'm sure there's that many Android devices out there. Yeah, uh, is. but and I this think one's a another of, fork as well. Yeah, it's yeah. a fork of Lineage OS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lineage is probably like. I think the reason why it supports 17,000 Android devices is because it's dependent on the lineage support. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really see how they could do the, the Honestly, the 17,000 doesn't really make sense because uh, lineage doesn't claim to do that at all. Like, they don't mm-hmm. claim to say we support 17,000. They claim that they support, like, I think 100 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. So this is where, unfortunately, I get to rain. You know on. what? It, you know what? I've thrown you guys yeah. off because I put this in the article. But I was looking at the article, and it says, "Of course, we cannot support the seventeen thousand plus known Android devices." So <laughs> darn, uh, I read that wrong. That's my you read fault. That wrong. But yeah. they do have a long list on the site of devices that okay. they support, probably mm-hmm. the same as Lineage OS. So we that did answer one question: there are seventeen thousand plus Android devices, but yep, there are that support it. <laughs> Um, The the reason why I'm going to have to write um, Rain on Lion's Parade is Microsoft failed. Mm -hmm. Canonical failed. Why does this one individual person think they're going to succeed? I mean, I don't think this person would succeed really because it is one person, but he's dependent on another. He's dependent on a platform that is dependent on another platform to exist. So mm-hmm. like, I don't think that, and then you could say the same thing about if there, if someone makes a Linux version, you know, like if, if the purism team makes Librem five with their pure OS thing, if they, if they succeed, 
they're still standing on you know other mm. platforms that are underneath it. You know, they'd say they have like you know Debian base or something. I'm not sure how the POS is built, but um, they still like all the projects that are sitting underneath it. But this mm. is where those would work because all of those projects that are underneath it are open and free software. Whereas Elo depends on Lineage, which is free software, but Lineage depends on Android, which is not really. I mean, technically, mm-hmm. they do have the AOSP, but they try to limit the value of the ASP. Like every year, they make a reason, like more and more reasons why it's not really, you know, mm-hmm. their focus. But a question from Ryan. There was a um, maybe it was about six months ago. There was a huge hoo ha about a phone that was going to be coming out. Librem five. The Libra. The Librem 5, was it? Mm-hmm. Because it smashed all records for getting the maximum amount of money in as quick as possible. Yep. Where it, is it? Well, I mean, it has it launched. It's supposed to come out this year. They're still no, taking pre-orders year. for it next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're still taking pre-orders for it. So they're building that phone. They're still getting their way, way. They're still getting way, way more money. They're way. They're obviously when they started the campaign, they beat all of the goals that they had set. They're still mm-hmm. going. People are still buying this phone. What I think will happen is, I agree with you, Zeb. All these other companies failed. Uh, I think it will take a very big privacy invasion or security issue to happen that's going to make people at a bigger scale think, hey, maybe this idea of giving all of our data away wasn't such a good one. Um, I had hoped that some of the stuff that had happened with different governments manipulating other governments, not to get political, but during different races and things for, you know, who's going to be president and all of that, that that might make people think, hey, this is happening through social media. Things are getting manipulated by the governments. It's a big deal to start being private. I mean, this is basically a tactic of warfare now, Mm -hmm. but it still hasn't picked up. People are still happily using Windows 10. People are still happily using Google Android. And, you know, I I don't know what it's going to take. So you're probably right. I still want to hold on hope that one day people will wake up and we'll have an actual good Linux solution because we expect so much from our desktops. And we are so critical of developers on what we have on our desktop. But with phones... Like I said, when we were at Southeast Linux Fest, most people walking around with stock Google Android devices, and it just shocks me because we expect nothing from a device that most people probably use more than their desktop. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's more sensitive data on those phones typically as well. Uh, But as far as like, just to be be clear about something, the Canonical, they failed, yes, but they also failed in a time where they they everything was against them. And I'm not saying like the community like the backlash the community had, but I'm saying like everything was against them because there there wasn't an ODM that would provide the hardware. There wasn't like uh, the uh, broadband like the base broad based system like there wasn't any kind of things that makes it smoother for them to they had to like fight uphill the entire time. But mm-hmm. the Librem team or the Purism team for Librem, a lot of this stuff is already going to be available. So like the phone that they're going to use, the process that they're going to use, has it was already built for the purpose of using, uh, you know, someone to take it as an ODM and then you know put their stuff on top of it. So, yeah, Canonical did fail, but and the reason why uh, the Kickstarter for uh, Purism was so like such a big thing, technically Canonical had way more, like twelve million dollars more that was that was, uh, you know, uh, was pledged. But the reason they they just didn't take the money because they, you know, at the time it would have cost them like. 50 million in order to do it 
Whereas mm-hmm. pure, purism, because of all these these infrastructures are in place now, they they have like ten percent the amount of uh, cost that requires them to do it. So I think that because of that, and because there's so much potential now, then there's so so, so much stuff in place for them to do it. I think it is possible that Librem will the Librem five will become come to fruition, although you know late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've got Lineage OS out there. Of course, we talked about you've got Ubuntu Touch. You have Plasma Mobile. Is it Tizen, Michael, Tizen. is the other one? Tizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, as That's well the Samsung there, so. one. That's the so, Samsung one, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got lots of potential hope maybe on in the future here for a true Linux mobile device. Mm-hmm. But I think we wanted to cover these because there's a lot of work going on. There may mm-hmm. be a particular project if you have a spare phone hanging around that you could go install one of these, try it out, maybe help with the development there and see where it goes. Zeb's probably right, but let's hope he's wrong. Yeah, there's there's hope on the horizon and it might be Tizen. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well done. Well done, Mike. <laughs> so, uh next up on the show is the uh there's a new release for a very important editor and that is Nano from it the new team. Important. It is the text editor that you can use in your your console or your terminal, and or even over SSH, and you can manipulate things. I actually, it's it's also competitor to like Emacs and Vim and things like that you can use in the in the terminal. And uh, I admit I use Nano way more than the other ones if I'm going to do a, com- a terminal editor, just because if I'm going to use the terminal, I'm probably going to do like something very quick and easy and not going to take a ton of time to do like special like ridiculous text editing. So Nano is like it's pretty perfect for it. Yeah, so. I agree. Look, I when I started with Linux and I needed to start editing files, I thought I was awesome with gedit. And then then I progressed and thought, well, I'm going to try out Vim and VI there and then I was like, nope, uh nope, right <laughs> out of there. And then I found Nano and I was happy. I was like, this is this is a a editor I can use that I'll only get partially made fun of for not using something as complicated as Vim, but still can get away with it on a channel when doing uh, any reviews or editing live. So Nano has become my savior. Uh, I think it just makes more sense to me naturally. Now I know Vim and other things are faster. Don't even send me an email about it. I get it. It's the fastest thing on planet Earth. It's the equivalent to Flash. Unless you want to close it. I don't have the time to learn it um, or I don't really even have the passion to learn it, frankly, because I just don't do enough. You're a system administrator or something like that. I get it. I get why you would want to use it. But this new Nano has a lot of new features like reading files 70% faster. Speed of handling ASCII text has almost doubled. So they're putting work into it to make it faster and easier to use. And I already love it. So that makes me happy. Nice. Now, what's interesting about that is that the i3 Prodigy is beaten by Vim. <laughs> because i3 makes sense with its key bindings. <laughs> Not so wow. much. Send your hate mail to comments at destinationlinux.org <laughs> and make sure to put the subject line DOS Geek. I was, I was totally expecting you to point that to me. <laughs> okay, so now moving on to some um, hardware news and uh, a bit more in, in teams, Team Red's favor. Yeah. Um, Ryzen have brought out a couple of new processors. Um, the 2300X, well, the Ryzen 3 2300X, and the Ryzen 5 2500X. But don't get too excited because you're probably not going to be able to buy it yourself. 
they're mainly being shipped out to OEM uh, people. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's just a normal progression or a natural progression, um, I think, from the old 1300 and the 1500s, where you're getting a bit more power and a bit more processing speed uh, for your money. Um, and yeah, and they're, and they're putting them in a couple of devices. So have you had a look at any of those devices, Ryan? Well, you know, the first thing when I saw this article, I went up to Newegg and I was like, can I buy one? Because <laughs> I just want to play with it. <laughs> uh, they're not available yet, but I was very excited to see them upgrading this family of processors here. It's not a huge upgrade, but again, these are fantastic processors, very capable. The thir- I have the 1300X and very, very capable little, or maybe it's the 12, maybe it's called the 12. I don't remember the model name, but I have the prior version of this, the Ryzen 3. Very capable processor, very powerful for your basic tasks that you're doing. Plenty of power for, you know, light gaming, family computing, that type of stuff. The 2500X adds a lot more power in there. Uh, obviously, I've got the 2700X in my main machine, so that's a little more beastly, but these are two very capable processors. I think you're going to be able to get them at a very good price, but they are targeted more towards OEM system builders. Mm-hmm. So we may not see them available for us, but they also add in some of the precision boost and XFR algorithms into these, these new CPUs here as well. So um, like I said, not a huge boost in the megahertz or things that typical consumers look for, but again, just kind of updating the family line of AMD here as they continue to dominate in the CPU market. Domination. Yes, but maybe if that's not your thing, you want to pick up a very small computer. You want something that you can just sit on an entertainment system and or have right next to your desk. Maybe you want it to use it as your streaming device. And if that's the case, then you may want to get your hands on the new Tuxedo Nano, which comes with Linux by default. Nice name. Yeah, the Tuxedo Nano. So. <laughs> This one has, if Destace is a premium, you could pick this up. It is a packed little mini PC. Uh, it only measures at 11.5 by 11.1 by 5.2 centimeters. So this thing is tiny. But they pack up to an i7-8650U in there and 32 gigabytes of RAM. Wow. You could have some fun with this little device uh, that you put on the side of your desk there. Michael? Are we getting one of these, and will you send me one? Um, well, the the price is uh, not in my, uh, you know, my, <laughs> it doesn't fit my cheapness. It's so, my, it was my birthday last week, dude. Yeah, but my cheapness uh, usurps your birthday completely. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's really cool, though. I do like the fact that you can get, like, so much power in such a small box because, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Intel NUX where they can, you know, you can have, like, the like the core i7 and this thing has like 32 gigs of ram and it's such a small you know uh, form factor that's pretty cool and i do like the fact that they have two um <laughs> hdmi screens like you know through two hdmi outs those are pretty cool and of <laughs> course it supports kde plasma so that's a good one too uh well it also supports ubuntu ubuntu that's budgie the, well, we're just talking about plasma right now oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well what i, I find quite amusing about this is you've got this tiny little box mm-hmm. and yet you've got two 28 inch 4k screens attached to it <laughs> <laughs> just, it's like, really it's, i thought you wanted to go minimalist well in a way you could say maybe it could be used for like a ridiculously powerful set-top box for tv and you mm-hmm. can have like cody 
and some streaming software, maybe even do like stream like the Steam Link gaming stuff on it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, this reminds yeah. me of a story. So uh, I think I've told this a long time ago on the show, but I I wanted to build a media center for my living room. And so I got a mini ITX case, mini ITX motherboard, processor, spent all the money, set it up. It was maybe this big by this big. And I brought it upstairs. And my, as soon as I got upstairs, my wife was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. And I put it on the bottom shelf of the entertainment system and it wouldn't quite fit. So it kind of hung off the end of it. And she's like, get that hideous thing out of my living room. And so I could have saved a lot of money because this is about 498 squids because it's not available. Uh, well, it may be available in the US, but anyways, it's based in the squiddles, wherever that is. I think that's where Zeb's at, part of the world uh, where they use squiddles. But about 498 for the i370-100U. But I could have spent that and had a little tiny box and my wife would have approved it. So there you go. Yeah, because it, it wouldn't have been such an eyesore, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what what is beautiful though is the next topic. My favorite section. Yeah. Yeah, Zeb's favorite section. Yeah. But uh, so the first the first topic is 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 beautiful because it's it's talking about page, uh, proton and proton is you know it's there's it's such a big topic that, like these days because of so many things that are. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's allowing you know developers to to support Linux more easily. It's allowing people to be more interested in maybe potentially like having other software that supports Linux. Uh, but there is some kind of uh, potentially bad rumors about you know maybe this would keep people from making software that supports Linux natively. Mm-hmm. And Gaming on Linux had an interview with a, a a game porter who's been porting games to Linux for a very long time, and his name's Ethan Lee. And his and his this interview is really interesting. So uh, after the show, you should totally go and read it to, to get the full details. But uh, Ryan, what was your favorite part about that, that interview? Well, this this guy, first of all, I think it's interesting. Props to gaming on Linux. They always are on top of this stuff. Even though not everybody's interested in gaming news and stuff, uh, they are obviously, and they're the go-to source if you are uh, gaming on Linux. And we've had them on the show before. They're just awesome people over there. Uh, but they had this individual, Ethan Leon, and this is no, this is somebody who has a ton of experience in porting games. He's ported over 40 titles to Linux. He has continued the FNA project, which was Microsoft's XNA. Well, he created the FNA project, which was kind of a continuation of Microsoft's XNA game studio for indie developers, as I understand it. And he's basically been helping to get Linux games on Linux for a long time. So then asking that person the question of, is Proton going to ruin things, holds a lot of weight. Because this is somebody who does this right now, has spent a ton of time investing in it. And when you go through the article, again, definitely recommend you read it. But he basically says, no, it's not going to hurt anything. In fact, it's going to help everything. So he said that when Proton was started, they started working using some of his projects. They improved some of his projects like FA Audio uh, that they contributed to, which then he gets to utilize those enhancements in his code for porting and things. Um, and he basically says that Proton is an intervention uh, by Valve into their own ecosystem, which is something they rarely do which he says basically means Valve is taking Linux very seriously. And to have a big name like Linux behind, or Valve behind Linux 
in the gaming industry, which is why a lot of people still dual boot and a lot of people refuse to come mm -hmm. to Linux even. This is a big deal and he doesn't feel like it's going to have that impact. So I think that holds some weight. It's not a guarantee, mm -hmm. but I think that holds some weight. Yeah, and definitely the fact that he's ported over 40 titles uh, of games to Linux. Yeah, the guy, the guy is knowledgeable and the guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. I mean, I, I totally agree with his assessment of the situation, especially considering like Valve has been doing so much for Linux gaming that inherently also does so much for Linux itself that, you know, it, we should give, people should give them more of a, you know, a pass. I don't know, not maybe a pass, but like, be more open to the potentials of what they're doing because they're all, all they're doing is yes, it's trying to make more money for themselves, but also it's to trying to help the ecosystem by doing the making themselves more money. So it's like, it's not just a money grab. They're trying to make the ecosystem, you know, more open to everything. And the, the fact that they open source proton on GitHub and anybody could take it and build it for their, and implement in their own, you know, made their own client, maybe not even a game client, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's just fantastic. So, I mean, I don't, the, it could be negative, but I think all the positives that are coming from it vastly outweigh the potential negatives. Well, one thing he mentions being, he says literally he's been laughed at for years going into developers' offices trying to tell them you need to port your game to Linux. Oh, the reason is because these are old library games. They don't want to go back necessarily and visit them sometimes. They're extremely, it would be extremely expensive for the developers to do this. That's where Farrell and other people have succeeded in making business cases and making it profitable so the companies consider doing this. But he said with Valve, that removes that laughing altogether because when Valve's behind something, they know they can make major money off of it and that's going to get more developers interested in it. So I think that adds more options for people in Linux to do more gaming. Very cool and interesting if you're into gaming and into that scene and wondering the impacts of Proton to get Ethan Lee's take thanks to the gaming folks over at Gaming on Linux. I think that point mm -hmm. about having the power of Valve behind it is is a great point because people like there's the the you know uh, Iculus. Uh, he's been he's like he was the game he ported he was like a game porter he's the, he ported the Torak game he mm -hmm. ported Torak two and like the re those recent ones but he's also ported like like I don't know how many but at least you know a few dozen or so you know over the years. And he's been like the long, like at one point in in the Linux world, he was the, the, the he was known as the gaming industry on Linux. Like he is wow. the Linux gaming industry, and it's because he was the only one doing it at a, at a, any like high level. So um, the the fact that it goes from you know people him having to deal with he's done interviews where he's explained why it's kind of like. Um, you know, for him trying to explain to people that he wants to do a port for Linux, people would laugh at him because it's just him. But now with Valve, it's a that's a great point because Valve provides such a you know a, it, not even a, a guarantee themselves that they will provide support and everything. So that you know that that's a good point to make because it's it's just going to prove to the like the the possible portings. I mean, make, make it so much easier, and I I can't wait for that because I didn't even think about that. So you know, uh, thanks for thanks Ethan for pointing that out. Yep, mm -hmm. I think it's brilliant. This and Zip, you have the next gaming article. We're so excited for you to cover it. I do, but I just want to pick up slightly there on something that Michael said previously about um, Valve and that uh, an awful lot more people need to give them a, a pass and give them a pat on the back. So while you're giving them that pat on the back, can you send a couple of passes my way? Because I need them for the next article. <laughs> <laughs> what Ryan happened, Zeb? Has... 
a unique talent for finding the next wonderful game that can bring us to the world of Linux. Now, I deliberately haven't looked at this game yet because the title alone was enough to do my head in, yeah? I know what you're talking about. New top-down shooter coming to Linux, which immediately means I'm going to be using my 1,500-pound machine <laughs> to play a game that I could have played on my BBC Micro back in the 1980s. <laughs> really? So I'm just going to quickly flick over here to this Galaxy Champions. Now, really? I think of Galaxy Champions, and I'm thinking Galaxian, and there's all going to be these things shooting across the screen and flying up and down. But let's have a, let's have a quick look. It's only a minute and 30, so let's see how long. Okay. Um, six <laughs> seconds in, and I've stopped it. <laughs> because... I'm looking at a screen that looks like a basketball court with two goals at either end, okay? Uh-huh. Now, and this That's is called a galaxy. for the people that are, uh, are on the audio stream, because I'm sure Michael will have a wonderful picture up. Now, somewhere in there <laughs> is you, the player. Uh-huh. But you're surrounded by, I think I can count six, what look like huge gorillas, <laughs> and about <laughs> Little little men. Now, you're supposed to shoot all of those before they kill you. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's 60 of them. So how on earth are you going to last more than... And it says here in, in the descriptions, brutal, fast-paced, run-and-gun gameplay. Be, be fast or die. <laughs> it has to be the Flash to survive in this game. 20-plus uh... um, stackable upgrades. Yeah. Wisely and find your perfect build. Sounds yeah. amazing. 15 plus powerful weapons. You could shoot all 15 weapons at the same time and not kill this number of enemies. Um, it's just, and it says it's an arcade score chaser style game. Well, what did you think well, about the graphics? Leave it down the arcade <laughs> where all the kids can play with it because trust me, this is going nowhere near my computer. But you know what the best yeah. part about this game is? It has two-player co-op, that, yes. so we could play together. And help ex- you kill those enemies. So. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, one of us at a time. Friendly because otherwise you're going to be shooting yourself because you're never going to know where your opponent is or where your mate is. So now let me, let me bring it back. Zeb, I... You're going to love these games one day. One day yeah. you're going to love these We're games. Gonna, he's just going to badger you with them until you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to force you to love these games. But this, if people have played Smash TV, if you ever went to an arcade as a kid and played Smash TV, any of you? Mm-mm. All right. Well, Smash TV, was, this game <laughs> is kind of based on the Smash TV concept where you've got tons of enemies coming onto the screen your character basically turns in circles and move. You move them in circles and you fire all these weapons and get upgrades. And it's just mass destruction all around. Very simple graphics, but it's t- a ton of fun to play these style of games. Now, I went and bought the game because it says it's available for Linux. And I tried it in my i3 XFC hybrid and it wouldn't boot, wouldn't work. 
uh, I hit play and it just flashed the screen and go away. So I opened the console looking for an error. There was no errors there showing even when I ran it through console. So I thought, well, maybe it's I3 because maybe it's trying to launch in a windowed mode and it's throwing it off or something. So I booted into Ubuntu Mate and it says it works for Ubuntu and the screen flashed and went away and no errors in the console. So while this may be the funnest game on earth, I had to request a refund until they can get that bug fixed. It's about $6.99. So if the Smash TV throwback is enough to get you to want to try it, you may want to try it, but wait till they get some of those bugs worked out. So unfortunately, Zeb, in this case, you were correct. This one mm-hmm. doesn't quite work yet. And if you're one of those people who haven't got a clue what Smash TV is, please send your donors donations over to me. I'll send the donations to the developers so that they never bring this monstrosity <laughs> to limit. How dare you? Seriously, I will pay them not to port <laughs> to Linux. It's that bad. Zeb, Seriously. you're hurting the community. That is ugly, Zeb. No, it's you not know where you belong? It's practical. In, yeah. We're going to set up an, a Pixel Game IRC where you can sit there and just flame everybody that comes <laughs> Some of the old pixel games were fun. I mean, I used to play the line drawing game Elite, which was just this little triangular ship, and you used to have to shoot out straight arrow bombs at people. And that was a fantastic game. And the old Asteroids was a great game. See, you do like them. I do like them. But then they tried to to draw graphics, and the fact that I've got what can only be described as it was either a gorilla or an oversized (laughs) space suit... And it's just, hang on, I'm just going to zoom in. I'm, in a, I'm at 500% and I still can't work out from the pixel <laughs> what, what sort of shape it's meant to be. So, I mean, come on, really? <laughs> if this had been just a line drawing game along the lines of asteroids, then yes, I might have taken you up on it. But I looked through the description. There's nothing that says about gorillas here. So. Well, then start the game, stop it at six seconds, and explain to me what those bigger enemies are. <laughs> They're bad guys, and they must die. All right, let's get, <laughs> let's get into our tips and tricks of the week. Zeb, kick us off, sir. Yep. Now, this is something that I can talk about, because it was a big passion of mine when I first came over from uh, Windows. How do I find stuff quickly? Mm. Um, so I learned quite quickly that in the terminal, there's uh, two basic commands that you can use. One of them is find, and the other one is locate. Now, from my very basic, simple user understanding, um, you can type a command, um, let's say, find space forward slash home uh, space minus in name destination Linux. And it will go away and it will trawl through your system files and it will return those items that have got destination Linux. Mm-hmm. Now, that's great if you want a little 256 gig SSD, but what if, you, what if you've got like 10 terabytes of USB, USB attached? Mm-hmm. I think that's where the next one will be better for you because the locate command works exactly the same way. You go and locate a file called destination Linux, but it looks through a pre-made database um, there's a command called update db and it will go away and if you um alter the update db.conf which i believe lives in etc or mm-hmm. is it except security i think it's just etc isn't it i think so um, 
and you can tell it to ink because it, it has a lot of exclusions by default but you can tell it no look at my mount drives look at my media drive so all of those usbs will be built up as part of that locate command and locate works an awful lot faster than find but you do have that little like, two to five minute build time at the beginning so that's a simplistic view of find and locate but i can imagine that someone like michael could incorporate these very nicely in in, in a script to do a lot of a lot of simple tasks for you yeah i mean okay so i've been using find and <laughs> for a very long time and you know find and the the, the iname approach allows you to do wild cards and stuff like that so with iname it allows you to do the asterisk behind so you say asterisk the keyword you want to search for like destination linux and then an asterisk after that it will find every single file uh well mostly uh files that have destination linux somewhere in the file name whereas mm -hmm. typically if you just search for like without the asterisk it'll search for just a file that happens to have that file name ex like exclusively so like i i learned a long time ago with find and I never really even looked at locate. I did see it and never bothered to try it out. And then when looking at the uh, the the way that you use it that Ryan was showing, it was um, locate's better. <laughs> so, so we were doing a comparison when we were doing a pre-show kind of review of the notes, and I'm like, I use locate, and he's like, No, use find. Let me show you. And we were searching for something, and I'm like, I'm getting way better results on locate. So then he does locate, and he's like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I did, it, was, it was close to that. Um, so like, okay, locate one, it, it's it does the same thing that the iname does. It does the wildcard searches. Or you just put the destination Linux, and it just it's locate space destination Linux versus find slash home dash inames uh, asterisk destination at yeah locate. <laughs> <laughs> it uses a database so there might be a little bit of a lag but the having to type all that stuff out in the first place is a little bit of a lag too so whatever <laughs> there mm -hmm. you go and and if you're not into the terminal um there's actually a very nice uh program uh created by a good friend uh sean davis yeah. uh, over at the xfce um station there and it's called catfish yep and that and that will give you a nice front end there's a nice little button that says update and what that does for you is in the background it does a sudo update db and it will take a few minutes depending on the size of your databases that you've got now what it won't do that i've been able to find is it it doesn't allow you to go in and edit the update.conf so you've still got to do that manually to take out the exclusions of your mount directory and your slash media zebedee or whatever they are but then once you've got that as long as you remember to come off of the name Zebedee because it will default to searching your home directory mm -hmm. and put it to system it will then go through the whole root directories every single directory on your machine and all of your mount points as well it's a wonderful little tool it really is yeah. yep. that's pretty cool um so another tool that you could use for like file searching and stuff like that's really fast is if you do like the terminal but don't want to use commands is ranger so you can that sentence made no sense. It's not doesn't matter. Love the terminal, but don't want to use commands. Doesn't matter. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Go on. It will become it's a, apparent. This yeah. is called a segue. Uh, so, <laughs> so Ranger, we talked about a couple episodes ago, and Tim sent an email to the show about that that particular uh, tip that we gave, and mentioned that there's another one called Midnight Commander. 
and I totally forgot about Midnight Commander, even though I knew it existed and it's been it's, it's existed since like '94 or something like that. Um, so uh, sorry that I forgot about that. But Midnight Commander is essentially a in curses file manager for the terminal, uh, and it has a lot of cool features. Uh, what did you like about it, Ryan? I loved it. I mean, I I think. I like Ranger a little more for my use cases, but I, as soon as I opened Midnight Commander, I could I could see why he said he's been you know utilizing Linux since 1996. He uses this in every job he's ever had. I could see why this would be such a beneficial tool because it's very well done. You can do tons of manipulations through very quick shortcut keys that are actually listed out on mm-hmm. the panels. So yeah. you don't have to guess what the shortcut keys are uh, to do manipulations with your files and navigate through your files. It is extraordinarily well done. And I added it to my i3 installer scripts because this is something I think I will use some more. Now, Ranger, if you're just doing basic you know, the browser, no, Ranger is very powerful, but it just is, Ranger's more friendly, presentable the first time you open it. Like it's just, cool. it, it, you immediately are taken to it. You immediately can navigate through it, all that stuff. You can do the same with MC, but you could see how you could quickly mess something up with all of those shortcuts and it's a little more advanced, but it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a bigger learning curve with Midnight Commander, but I think the the outcome will be you could end up doing more with Midnight Commander. Yep, mm-hmm. that's true. And also, it's called Midnight Commander, which is a fun name. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan there mentioned his um, i3 script. So that brings me back to the cryptic thing right at the beginning, um, where... I played with a Fedora install script this week. Uh-huh. I had a wonderful system, uh, Fedora XFCE, and I was convinced by a very persuasive person to try this script. Michael, why did you do so that? So I fired it up and got it all running. So as Ryan said, this his, is his little script that he's got going for Fedora. So um, it's an impressive effort and really quite clever how it melds i3 Windows Manager with the XFCE desktop. Mm-hmm. And I'll report back more when I have worked out how to log out <laughs> without having to reboot the machine. <laughs> because everything I tried failed. So the only way I could get out of the damn thing, excuse my French, was I've got a reset button. Like, dink. Now, Ryan, I hope you've got an update for me. Listen, I I was so upset when I saw this, truthfully, because you were willing to give this a try. And so many people, I, I'm, my code is not fantastic, and so many people have gone out and tried it, and they really liked it. But a lot of them were I3, people were used to I3, right? So they know the shortcuts by hand. But I knew you were, you said you were going to try this when I built it, this XFCE I3 hybrid. So I made a mm-hmm. wallpaper that automatically in the script downloads, puts it in your pictures, uses face, sets it up as your wallpaper, and it has the shortcut keys there. As it's a, a lovely wallpaper, guy. too, and it's really handy for me because unlike when we joked with you before uh-huh. about you've got your screen full up with all these windows, so how on earth can you see the wallpaper? Well, I can see it on my other two screens, so I can mess with the main one and read the commands left and right, but 
but I um I forgot to add the shift key in there because it's super shift E to exit, not super E. So you were probably jamming on your super E button to look for the logout option, and there was one key missing there. Uh, well, it's a little faded now. <laughs> so I have updated the wallpaper for anybody wanting to give it a try, and now it says super shift E. Super shift E. Yeah, so sorry about that, Zeb. No, that's okay, but I think it, it could be... It could be fun to, to, to go back and have another try. There you go. Well, if you find any more mistakes in my um, shortcut keys there, be sure to let me know. That is the end of our episode. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us, watching, listening to Destination Linux. And Zeb, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, well, as usual, you can get us on um, our generic email address, which is comments at destinationlinux.org. Oh, it's anything but we generic. A... <laughs> well, but it's not It's not individually to us. It's just a, a catch-all. Oh, okay. That we okay, and, I see what you mean. Go and, have you mean. A, and have a read, yeah. Um, you then got our Telegram group. Um, we've got Discord. We've got Google Plus and Twitter and Mastodon and a whole raft of other um, media outlets and if you go to destinationlinux.org forward slash contact um, then there'll be other methods by which you can um, contact us so please keep these emails in I mean a couple of the emails that we showed you today were just they're just great examples of how people are using Linux and the fact that that gentleman spun it around on us and said well not how do I use Linux but how do you use Linux and we might do a bit of a a bit of a spin on one episode as to how does Michael use Linux? How does Ryan use Linux? How do I use Linux? So keep those comments in. It really does uh, keep us interested and involved. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And also keep liking that smash button. And um, uh, going back to the whole, you know, how you can get, involved, get in touch with us, uh, you can do the thing that Ryan loves, just send us a toot on Mastodon. And, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, I actually added us some to some more podcasting directories. So if you get if you want to, you can share the podcast directory links for you know variety of things like Stitcher and things like that. Uh, but if you'd like to join us in the live show, we, we we record this in a Zoom chat with the patrons, and you could become a patron by going to destinationlinux.org/patreon, and that's uh, one of the the best things you could do to support the show, and we'd appreciate it. All right, so everybody have a great week. And remember, the destination itself can be just as fun, Michael, as the journey. I agree. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Destination Linux podcast. See how I brought that back, Michael, with the fun? I like mm -hmm. it. What's the fun thing? You see I what like I did it. there? I'll, t I'll tell my yeah. girlfriend we'll party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but KDE happened to be making the compare oh, with the K. With the K. Wow. But to be fair, this is one of the few times where the K actually is fun because it's like it's searchable, like it's oh, nicely it's so searchable. Fun. I okay. told my wife about it and we just party. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. You all missed it. Michael was angry. Yeah. He was very angry. I hate the a lot of websites because they have these stupid ads everywhere but also the most irritating and i can't remove is these stupid pop-ups we take cookies on this website duh like every website thanks so ryan told him a joke and now he's just angry at ryan yeah the joke was brilliant though should i tell it i mean you can tell it if you want to but brilliant i mean
Okay, let's see if the patrons like this joke. So Katie E walks into a bar. The bartender asks, are you okay? Katie E replies, you mean, am I co? It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> see? They got it. It's, they get it. It's so bad. Because Katie names everything starts with a K. So are you co instead of okay? It's <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> so bad. I didn't have enough time um, to alter it for you because what, what, what I was going to say is could be just as co as the be just as co Why did I miss that? Oh my I gosh. Know. But that, that wasn't in the show though, I don't think. No, the joke wasn't in the show though. The it should be. It should be a highlight of the show. It might be in the outtakes now. <laughs> yeah. yeah.